Welcome to the 5X Growth Podcast, where your host Carl brings you the best insights and takeaways from the books he's read on startups, entrepreneurship, marketing, and sales. Get ready to level up and accelerate your personal and professional growth with every episode. So today we're going to continue our book, Why Startups Fail. And let's start with chapter one. It's called, What is Failure? Basically, we need a standard for labeling a startup a failure. Uh, Let's dive deep into the definition of entrepreneurial failure. So what exactly do we mean when we talk about entrepreneurial failure? We've defined entrepreneurship as pursuing novel opportunity while lacking resources. Entrepreneurs must create and deliver something new a solution to a customer's problem that's better than or cost less than current options. That's the opportunity. And at the outset, entrepreneurs do not have access to all of the resources, like skilled employees, manufacturing facilities, capital, etc. Uh, that, that is required to exploit that opportunity. So now that we've defined uh, what entrepreneurship means we're getting closer to defining what is failure so because they are pursuing a novel opportunity without access to all required resources entrepreneurs are by definition engaged in risky business entrepreneur risk comes in four flavors so the first risk is demand risk It relates to the willingness of prospective customers to adopt the envisioned solution. Uh, For Jibo, for example, Jibo, it's a startup that failed. We ask ourselves, did consumers in large numbers want a social robot in their home? Uh, Technological risks is the second part and it refers to the complexity of the engineering or scientific breakthroughs required to bring a solution to fruition. Uh, For example, for Jibo, could its engineering team build the crucial middleware layer that processed sensor inputs and application instructions? Um, Yeah, so this is the question that we ask ourselves. The third point is execution risk. And it hinges on the entrepreneur's ability to attract and manage employees and partners who can implement implement the venture's plans. And the final risk is financial risk. Uh, and it's relevant when external capital is required. You need to ask yourself, will capital be available on reasonable terms? Would new investors step in? So those are important questions. So now let's talk about what does it mean to fail? Because new ventures confront so much risk, we should expect many to fail. But what exactly does it mean? A standard definition of failure is an outcome that falls short of expectations. And it's too broad to be useful in identifying startup failures because it begs two key questions. The first one, which outcomes are pertinent 
and whose expectations are relevant. Further, we'll see that some startups fail even when they largely avoid major mistakes. These ventures were smart bets that didn't pay off, and they come in two types. Some were based on plausible assumptions that were rigorously tested and yet ultimately proved untrue. Others were derailed by misfortunes that couldn't have been predicted. Which brings us to a third question. When a venture fails, is someone always at fault? So now let's talk about which outcomes are pertinent. When a company ceases operations, must it be considered a failure? Shutting down is often a sign of failure, but not always. For example, some entrepreneurs pursue projects that have a finite lifespan. Like movie production companies, recruit a director, cast, and a crew. They shoot a film, edit it, and then disband, hoping for a hit. In case like this, concluding the project after it has been completed could hardly, hardly be considered failure. And many startups that don't go bankrupt become zombies, generating just enough cash to keep going, but never enough to yield a payoff for their original investors. This insight is central to the definition of entrepreneurial failure that I'll use in this book. So what we define as entrepreneurial failure is a venture has failed if its early investor did not or never will get back more money than they put in. And you might ask, why early investors? Well, because when a startup fares poorly, later investors may get all of their money back, while early investors generally receive less than the full amount they invested, or nothing at all. But what about bootstrappers, ventures that never raise any equity from outside investors? Um, so a bootstrapping entrepreneur's investment equals the sum of his sweat equity, uh, the gap between what he pays himself and what he could have, heard, have earned by working elsewhere, and the second, the capital he personally contributed. If this investment exceeds the amount of cash the entrepreneur can ever expect to get back in, in the form of dividends or merged proceeds, then the venture has failed. To recap, startups can be considered to have failed under the following conditions. If a startup ex exited via a merger or initial, initial public offering, IPO, and total proceeds received from the exit are less than the total amount of equity capital that investors can contributed. And also, if startup is still operating and early investors would incur a loss upon selling their equity if they were not allowed to do so. If a startup was bootstrapper and its founder cannot expect to ever take more cash out of the company than the value of capital, and sweat equity he contributed. Entrepreneurship isn't only about founders and their goals. As a matter of fact, after raising a Series D round, 
fewer than 40% of startups still have a founder as their CEO. I will keep founders' personal goals in sharp focus throughout this book, but we shouldn't use founders' goal fulfillment as our main measure of success. Simply having some happy customers or employees isn't enough to label a startup a success. Finally, before declaring, declaring a startup to be a failure, should we consider the payoff to society at large? This is complicated because failed startups can generate spillover value that isn't captured by their investors. Similarly, what about failed startups whose founders learned enough from their mistakes to avoid making such errors again, and perhaps guide others to sidesteps them as well? Lots of learning is obviously better than a little learning, and a little learning is better than none at all. However, most entrepreneurs who preside over failed startups learn something from the experience. So, if learning is what makes a failure a good one, then we'd have to give this label to almost all failed startups. In theory, a startup could be deemed a success for society's perspective if, it's, it, if it lost money for its investors, but delivered positive spillover benefits to the others that more than offset the investors' losses. So basically, we'll stick with the investors lost money definition of startup failure here. But recognize that from society's perspective, some failures deliver more value than others. And the last question, who's to blame? When a venture fails, our first instinct is generally to try to figure out what mistakes were made and who made them. But failures can usually be attributed to some combination of misfortunes that were outside the control of responsible parties and mistakes made by those parties. So misfortune. Sometimes a startup's demise is due mostly to misfortunes rather than mistakes. In the same spirit, some entrepreneurs get negative results even after running well-conceived and well-executed experiments. For example, following lean startup logic, an entrepreneur may formulate hypotheses about an opportunity and then test them rigorously with minimal waste. If these hypotheses are refuted decisively, the entrepreneur might decide to shut down the venture rather than pivot and continue to test new assumptions. Again, that's a good failure, one that's not blameworthy. However, many assumptions cannot be tested. For example, there is always intrinsic uncertainty about the future health of the economy, rivals and regulators' behaviors whether a scientific breakthrough will be forthcoming and if so, how long it will take, how long an investing bubble might blow before it bursts, and many other factors. In such circumstances, having researched the issue and consulted experts, all one can do is make well-informed predictions, then hope for the best, and then hope for the best. An entrepreneur who does this 
entrepreneur who does this may make no major mistakes. To deliver what's expected, he may assemble the right resources, like employees, investors, and partners, but in the end, his core assumptions may simply turn out to have been wrong. This too, we can categorize not as a mistake, but rather as a smart bet that didn't work out. The line between a mistake and a well-reasoned choice can get blurry, and some observers, like my students, might disagree about whether certain key decisions were flawed or instead were smart, calculated bets that simply didn't work out. As with most failed startups, Jibo's demise was likely due to a mix of misfortune and missteps. Horses and jockeys, entrepreneurs, and investors and academics often explain failure in one of two ways. The first way emphasizes flawed venture concepts, uh, like a horse. So a venture concept is a horse, let's say, while the other focuses on founders, and founders are called jockeys. So jockeys are the people who drive the horse. When there is a horse race, jockeys are the people who are on the horse. So basically, founders whose abilities didn't match the need of their startup or who simply were inept. While there is support for both views, I would argue that an emphasis on horses or jockeys is not sufficient to explain why startups fail. A quote, all failed companies are the same. They failed to escape competition. This is a quote for Paul Graham, founder of the elite accelerator U Combinator. Likewise, holds that having a compelling solution to a customer's problem, a strong horse, is the key to success. There's just one mistake that kills startups not making something users want. If you make something users want, you'll probably be fine, whatever else you do or don't do. And if you don't make something users want, then you're dead, whatever else you do or don't do. In other words, shouldn't entrepreneurs be faulted for failing to spot a flawed concept in advance? Second, if an entrepreneur discovers that his idea has shortcomings after it launches, why not pivot to a better one? Venture concepts are fluid, and unlike a real-life jockey, a founder can change horses mid-race. In, in what ways might some entrepreneurs be more skilled than others, you might ask? Well, they may have superior general ability, and by superior general ability, we mean raw intellect, resilience, electra, or they may have a wealth of relevant history, industry experience. These attribu attributes are also not mutually exclusive. So general ability is a notion that successful entrepreneurs are simply smarter or psychologically better suited for the role than their failed counterparts has intuit intuitive appeal. Unfortunately, research 
Researchers aren't much in agreement about this. In fact, in fact, certain qualities typically associated with successful founders, such as a very high level of confidence, might also increase entrepreneurs' odds of failure. A possibility, a possibility we'll explore in later chapters. And let's talk about the industry experience. Unsurprisingly, research shows that prior industry experience improves the odds of entrepreneur success. Put simply, entrepreneurs with industry experience are better equipped to spot opportunities and formulate successful strategies for, for exploiting them. In general, we should expect higher odds of failure for founders who are overconfident and who lack industry experience. But it's important to note that these factors merely influence the likelihood of entrepreneur success or failure. Entrepreneurs with pitch-perfect confidence and deep domain exp experience will still be vulnerable to the failure patterns described in this book and must work hard to anticipate and avoid them. Horses, jockey, or both, how do we sort through these competing claims about the factors behind startup failures that entrepreneurs, investors, and academics have put forth? It's obvious that success is more likely when you have both, a fast horse and a skilled jockey. Furthermore, as noted above, jockeys select their own horse in the startup race. So it's ultimately difficult to untangle the quality of a venture concept from the skill of its founding team. In the end, I don't think horse versus jockey debates are particularly helpful. They provide a starting point, but they're oversimplified ways of assigning blame. Oversimplification indulges our Perchant for attributing a calamity to a single cause, when in fact many factors are at play. We'll examine those diverse factors more closely in the next chapter. So, back to Jibo. What is a failure? Yes, by this book's definition, definition early investors lost money. Could we label Jibo's failure as a smart bet that didn't pay off? Yes, I believe we can, because Jibo's team conducted extensive early research, focus groups, prototype testing, Electra, to validate demand and refine the robot. And the venture hit was hit by a couple of big bolts out of the blue, the type of misfortune that's hard to foresee when making a smart bet. So this is the it of chapter one. The next chapter is chapter two. It's called Catch-22. We're gonna talk about it later. That's all for today's episode of the 5X Growth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. For show notes and more, visit our website at 5xgrowth.com. Until next time, 
stay focused and keep growing.